is Law for Community Workers on the Go, a podcast for community and health workers. My name is Jessica Sullivan and I work in the Community Legal Education Branch at Legal Aid New South Wales. Today's episode is about spotting and supporting at-risk workers. We want to help community and health workers identify clients who may be at risk and know where they can refer them for help. At-risk workers can include workers in unsafe workplaces or workers who are being asked to perform work that is unsafe. Or they may be vulnerable to exploitation, such as being unfairly dismissed from employment, being underpaid or being discriminated against. You will hear from Jenny Hansen from the Legal Aid New South Wales Community Legal Education Team, Zalima Painter and Katrina Smith from Safe Work New South Wales about safety in the workplace and how to get information and advice, and from Emma Wise, a lawyer from the Legal Aid New South Wales Employment Law Team. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on Aboriginal land and pay our respects to Elders past and present and extend that respect to any Indigenous people who may be listening today. So, Salima, welcome and thank you for being here and can you tell us a little bit about your role, your job at Safe Work New South Wales? Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, I'm a Safe Work New South Wales inspector. So, we are the regulator for New South Wales. We provide advice and support. We develop resources. An inspector might have to attend a workplace to investigate a breach or talk about safety concern. So yeah, so we, we're here to help. Fantastic. How is Safe Work New South Wales different from the organisations that look after workers' compensation? So previously, a couple of years ago, Safe Work New South Wales used to be known as WorkCover. Uh, quite a lot of people out there still think of us as WorkCover. At the time where we were WorkCover, we did look after workers' compensation claims. There was an element uh, where the inspector would look after the rehabilitation of the person as well. We are now Safe Work New South Wales, and then we have another organisation called CIRA, State Insurance Regulatory Authority. CIRA looks after the claim itself, the rehabilitation. So we need to think about safe work as to prevent that incident or prevent that accident, prevent that person from getting hurt in the workplace. CIRA, different organization, different website, uh, looks after, unfortunately, an incident has taken place, somebody has got hurt, how are they going to manage that claim, what requirements need to be in place to make sure that that person gets pay you know, accordingly. However, a person could call Safe Work New South Wales and indicate that they have had an incident, but they have no access to workers' compensation, they're not aware what their rights are in that regard, or perhaps the employer doesn't have a policy. Safe Work will investigate that and will get involved. Okay, thanks for clearing that up. Could you explain a little bit about the at-risk worker strategy that you're involved with now? Sure. So when we think about at-risk workers, we're thinking about those that perhaps are new in the Australian workplace. So we think about young workers, we're thinking about migrants. We also think about the groups that have a second language, like myself or my parents and some of my relatives. Um, Those that are in labour hire arrangements, where perhaps they're not very clear about what their rights and obligations are, or if an incident takes place, who's going to look after them. So we're looking after these groups, um, and that's what we call them at-risk workers. During 
a period of time, so the last couple of years, we've been engaging and liaising with associations, unions, students, representatives from these groups and different communities, um, and our inspectors as well, just to get an understanding as to what is the need out there, what people's perception of safe work is, um, what do employers need to support these groups, and what do these groups need to understand that they have rights, but they also have obligations. As an example, perhaps is the employer must facilitate personal protective equipment, or what we call PPE, but the worker needs to ensure that they wear that personal protective equipment and they also maintain it or speak up if it is it's not suitable or if it is damaged. So it's about looking after these groups, empower them to make sure that they are safe in the workplace and supporting the employer, making sure these people are safe. Right. So could you just tell us the groups of at-risk workers Sure. and um, how did you identify that they were the ones you were going to concentrate on? Sure. So we've got the young workers. So we have um, labour hire employees. We have migrants that they might be in a visa uh, and the visa might have certain requirements where they can't work certain hours but they can't go over that hours because the visa might be breached. So they are, uh, they are vulnerable due to the fact that perhaps the employer is putting a bit of pressure on them to do extra hours and they don't want to speak up because they're worried that they're going to be reported um, you know, to immigration. The young workers that are at risk because it's the first time that they're actually in the workplace. They don't want to speak up because they don't want to lose a job. And then you also have those that might have a combination of other groups. For example, you have young workers that could also be representative from a culturally diverse group. Um, or perhaps they have parents. So they are second generation, but the parents are from a different country where safe work or you know, safety wasn't part of the agenda. So the parent might say to the worker, no, 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 don't speak up, don't make waves, you know, you're lucky that we got a job, that's why we're here in Australia. But we need to educate the parents, make sure that they understand that that person, the young worker, has rights as well. When we talk about labour hire, we're talking about labour hires present on a number of industries. People tend to think of labour hire construction, normally, but we have labour hire in HK. We have labour hire in hospitality, in uh, community services. So labour hire is present everywhere, and it's about understanding what this contract agreements are. Who has the responsibility for, for the safety of that person? So if that labour hire person is injured, do they go to the labour hire agency or they go to where the incident took place? So we identify them as a, an area that requires further support and require more understanding from all parties involved to understand that we, they all have a joint responsibility for the, the safety. My name's Katrina Smith, I'm from Safe Work New South Wales and I also work with Zalima on the At-Risk Worker Program. Um, labour hire arrangements are quite complex in many ways, but in a nutshell, you would have an agency where someone may register to work with them and that might be either a construction worker or a tiler, or it may even be a nurse or a, an assistant nurse. And then a nursing home rings up the agency and said, we need three nurses, so the agency sends those out. At that point, the nurses are working for the agency, but the nursing home is the host employer. So from what Zalima was saying before, 
the host employer has just as much responsibility to provide a safe workplace for that agency staff as their usual permanent staff. The important part of this project is making sure everybody knows what they should be doing. And what about the type of industries where the other at-risk workers work? What? So young workers, um, we see them quite predominantly in retail and hospitality. We do see quite a lot of young workers in construction. One of the things that we're always talking about is the induction is important. It's important that we meet the needs of the audience. So for example, young workers, it might be an app, it might be you know, online training, it might be audio. When we're talking about migrants, do we have that information in a language that they're able to understand? So one of the things that we have done by looking at the resources that we have, we commence translating our information into the six most common languages. So another area that is quite evident on one particular group is our fruit pickers. So we have a lot of backpackers in Australia where we have a lot of young people working in these areas. Uh, and one of the things we have done was translate the, it's like a checklist that tells you about how to actually pick fruit safely uh, and do a bit of an induction if you're an employer. And that has been translated in quite a lot of languages, including Spanish and German and Italian, French. So there are certain industries that one particular culture perhaps is more predominant and we will translate it if there is a need. Uh, another sample of our program that we have is we have been focusing on preventing exposure to silica dust. You might have seen, or some of the, the audience might have seen some um, ads in the TV about silica dust. The exposure to it can create um, significant injuries. The program has been focusing on understanding the exposure, understanding the risk, making sure that the employer understands what personal protective equipment is required and the best way to do it. And we also have facilitated that. There is information on the website in different languages as well. So what we always and continuously try to enforce is the fact that people need to speak up and talk to the employer, um, have these open conversations. If they feel that perhaps they're not going getting anywhere or they feel intimidated, they can let Safe Work New South Wales know. We have a number of ways to actually report things to us and start a conversation. They can call 131050, they can be anonymous, they can send us an email and say, this is a concern, or I feel I'm being intimidated or I have observed somebody being bullied. There's also uh, recently uh, introduced an app. I don't know if we, we have heard about it, but it's an app where people can actually uh, upload up to three photos where they can actually indicate where they're located. So the app is called Speak Up. And once again, they can be anonymous because we know that some of these groups, they will be intimidated to give us the names. And if it is during business hours, our call center can organize an interpreter as well. If there is an issue at work, first point of contact, you should be talking to your employer or to your safety representative. Let's give the employer an opportunity to rectify these issues because we want conversations. If nothing happens, if there is no resolution, if we still feel that we, that we are unsafe or somebody else is unsafe, we go through the process and we escalate it and call Safe Work in South Wales. But any time people can call us and say, look, if this is happening at work, if this is okay, what should I do? Where can I get more information? Um, so and that's employer as well. The employer sometimes might not be aware that legislation has been updated perhaps. And we need to provide that opportunity to increase the knowledge. 
We are now going to find out about the work of Legal Aid New South Wales employment lawyers with workers who are at risk of exploitation and give you information about referring these workers to see a lawyer. Okay, Emma, so thank you very much for coming and talking with us today about employment law. Thank you for having me. And you're an employment lawyer at yes. Legal Aid with the employment law team? Yes, so we're a small team and we do clinics. Clinic is where clients can book an appointment and come along for legal advice. People come in with employment law problems, they'll give them some advice and if the matter might be complicated or we'll support them with that with that client's problem. So it's, it's free and um, it's an opportunity to not only get legal advice, but also the lawyer can talk the client through in terms of what assistance they might be eligible for and what the process for going through that is. So the top three issues that vulnerable workers might see legal aid about is in relation to the termination of employment, um, the underpayment of wages and discrimination. Okay, so let's go through those one by one. Yep. What is an unfair dismissal? Like, what does it look like? An unfair dismissal is a type of claim that someone can make if they've been terminated. It's not the only type of claim that a person who has been terminated can make. Employment law is notoriously complex and um, there's usually more than one avenue that a person can pursue. But an unfair dismissal is probably the most widely known type of claim that a person can make. The difficulty is if you think it's the only type of claim a person can make and then um, you might be telling a client not to go and get legal advice because there won't be um, that claim to make. So the first thing to say about termination of employment and what kinds of things to do is to do it quickly. So there's a 21 day time limit for making an unfair dismissal application or for making the other type of application which some people can make which is called a general protections claim. So the 21 day time limit is brutal. Only in exceptional circumstances will the Fair Work Commission extend that time limit. If you see someone who's been terminated, get them to get legal advice as soon as possible. If they can't get legal advice within the 21 days from termination, they should put in the application themselves and then see the lawyer later. But that 21 day time limit, it doesn't, it doesn't move for anyone really. Right. Do you have any examples of a, an unfair dismissal? Or? Yep, so I can talk about an example which sort of blurs the boundaries in terms of what we what might be available to the person. So our client is a young worker and he's packing boxes um, at the factory. In his first week of employment, his supervisor says, can you lift the boxes up onto this truck so that we can deliver them? And he says, look, they're really heavy. I don't think this is a safe thing to do. I could hurt my back. Isn't there a machine we can do? And he says, I'll go and talk to the big boss and, and see what they say. I don't know. So he goes and talks to the big boss and the big boss says, look, there's no money to afford a machine. You either lift the boxes or you don't work here anymore. So he's effectively been terminated, even though the word termination hasn't been hasn't been used. So that's another little trick and trap to look out for. Has the person been terminated? And if there's any risk that they have, they should again get legal advice. The second 
thing is that um, he's only worked there for a week, so many people listening might be aware of the rule with unfair dismissals, that you can't make an unfair dismissal claim unless you've been employed there for six months or 12 months if it's a small business. So he can't do an unfair dismissal, but he could potentially do a general protections claim. So that's because he's exercised a workplace right in asking for safe work practices and made a complaint to the manager about it. If he'd worked there longer, he could then choose between doing an unfair dismissal and a general protections. So there are options usually available to people. Again, get legal advice because it is complicated. And if he was a casual worker? If he was a casual, again, it depends. So people might be aware that casuals can't do unfair dismissals that's not actually true a person who's a casual employee can do an unfair dismissal if and the test is regular and systematic with an ongoing expectation of work so that's a really complicated test what people should do is prepare some notes on what hours they were working and things like that any rosters all that sort of things and bring them along to the consultation with the with the employment law solicitor to see if they're they're eligible but casuals can definitely do general protections claims if they've been terminated what is a general protections claim so a general protections claim is a bit of a misnomer so it's actually a specific protection available it's not just holus bolus anything that happens at work is covered by a general protections claim. There's actually a specific list of protections in the Fair Work Act which are covered. So the first, discrimination, so those are the usual age, race, sex and disability. Other things which are protected are industrial activities, so being in a union and, and or taking industrial activity at, at industrial action. The third thing is sham contracting, which is where um, a person's really an employee but they're treated as an independent contractor. So those are the, the main general protections listed in the Fair Work Act and, and breach of those is unlawful and a person can, can make a claim about that. And what sort of just really basic processes would people expect to have to go through? The process for unfair dismissals are heard by the Fair Work Commission for most employees, but some state government employees, it's heard by the Industrial Relations Commission. I'll talk about the Fair Work Commission process because that applies to most people, but it is substantially similar to the Industrial Relations Commission process. So what happens is you put in your application to the Fair Work Commission and then they send it to the employer who then has seven days to respond to the application. It's then listed for conciliation, which is an opportunity for the employer and the employee to talk about the matter. It's not like going to court, it's not a hearing, there's no judge who makes a decision. Instead, there's an independent conciliator who works for the Fair Work Commission, who helps the parties reach agreement about how to settle the unfair dismissal. Fair Work Commission usually holds conciliations by telephone, but they will do them in person if one of the parties needs an interpreter. So the Fair Work Commission rings the employee, rings the employer, puts them on speakerphone, and then the employee has 10 minutes to talk about the matter. They don't need to rehash the entire application, just talk about the key things about why the dismissal was unfair, or what general, if it's a general protections, what general protections grounds have, have been breached. 
then the employer gets 10 minutes to respond and then usually the conciliator will turn to the employee and say so what's it going to take to resolve the matter so we get to the question about remedies you know what what does the employer want reinstatement is a remedy but it happens in less than one percent of cases also we find that many employees don't want to return to to the previous employer so that's not something that is that is usually asked for in conciliation most matters settle at conciliation for between five and ten thousand dollars so people might be surprised about how low that figure is because as we've sort of mentioned the impact of losing your job is absolutely enormous it affects all areas of your your family life and, and your everyday life um, but that's not reflected in the damages you get for employment law and that's just the, the truth of it. There is a cap on compensation at the Fair Work Commission. So if it goes to hearing, which is the next step, the maximum amount the Fair Work Com Commission can award is 26 weeks pay. But that amount happens in extreme cases only. With conciliation, it's a process that usually the client can undertake themselves unless they need help from legal aid, in which case they will usually receive help from legal aid because that's one of our, our eligibility criteria. Um, paying a private lawyer to do it is something that a client really needs to think carefully about because it can be very, very expensive. And considering what I said about how low the amounts of compensation are, you may find that all your compensation gets sucked up with lawyer fees. The conciliation process, most people can, can manage themselves. And what would happen if it doesn't conciliate? If it doesn't conciliate, it goes to hearing at the Fair Work Commission for an unfair dismissal. So if you do self-represent, you'll need to do things like call witnesses, you'll need to cross-examine them, you'll need to put on evidence. So it can get quite complicated, can be difficult and stressful. Again, if you get a private lawyer, it is very expensive and you should make sure that you talk to that lawyer about how much it will probably cost, how much you might get out of the matter. And Legal Aid has a brochure called Questions You Should Ask Your Lawyer. It's available on the Legal Aid website. I suppose the other option for some workers is if they're in a trade union. Yes, yes, of course. So if they're a, a union member, they should be contacting the union. If a community worker is seeing a client who's been dismissed, what do you suggest they do? Call Law Access and get a referral to Legal Aid. Yeah. Encourage them or help them if they need help to get their documents in order. Um, that helps us give advice if they've got a copy of their contract, if they've got a letter of termination, if they can make a little chronology as in a, a sort of a timeline of all the events that have happened. The next big area where we see people is underpayment. So could you talk a little bit about what what's involved with that? Yeah, so underpayment of wages is basically where a person is paid less than what they should be paid under the contract or under the award or enterprise agreement. So an award is an industrial instrument. It sets out the conditions of employment that might apply. There are many different awards and they apply to people in different types of work. Um, sometimes it's obvious. If you're not sure what award you're covered by, you can ring the Fair Work Ombudsman and they can give 
advice about what award applies to you. There's also enterprise agreements that might be covered. So that's an agreement between your employer and you, really, and it's approved by the Fair Work Commission. And it covers how much money should be paid. It's like an award, but each company has a different enterprise agreement. In order to figure out how much you should be paid once you've got got your award, you can go to the pay calculator on the Fair Work Ombudsman website and that will, you enter in your details, whether you're part-time, full-time or casual, whether you're an apprentice or not, and what financial year it is because each year um, income goes up. Um, And then you can see how much you should be paid. I'd recommend that everyone starting a new job goes through that process just to check that um, they're being paid correctly. So ring the Fair Work Ombudsman, get the award, do the pay calculator, see if you're being paid correctly um, or check the contract and see if you're being paid correctly. The other thing people should do when they first start a new job is go, if they've got a smartphone, download an app called Record My Hours. It records you when you enter work, so you set the location of work and it will track you and and record when you entered work and when you exited work. If you work at different locations or are working from home, you can manually enter your start and finish times. So having records of hours is something really important for an underpayment claim. Another record of people working is their Opal card transactions. So showing that they're going to and from work on their Opal card, that's a good record. It's good to have have good records, but it doesn't defeat an, impl- an underpayment claim necessarily. And underpayment claims can be massive. So yeah, it's worth getting legal advice about what to do. What's just really basically the process with an, with an underpayment claim? Where does it go? Who looks at it? Sure. So there's a couple of things that you can do if you think you're being underpaid. Firstly, you can phone the Fair Work Ombudsman and they can investigate and they can hold a mediation with the employer. Mediation being a voluntary process to talk about it and see if you can reach an agreement about Um, how much money has been underpaid but that's not always possible. The other option to do is to go and see a lawyer and get legal advice and the result of that might be making a claim in court. It's either a small claim if it's less than $20,000 and the person can usually self-represent or if it's over $20,000 it's in the federal circuit court and you will need a lawyer to represent you So happily, there's a six-year time limit for making an underpayment claim, which means you can go back six years and claim unpaid wages. So it means people can often make an underpayment claim when they're at a new employer. We'll now talk about discrimination, which is the last of the top three legal issues that vulnerable workers see legal aid employment lawyers about. Not all unfair treatment by an employer is covered by the discrimination laws. There are a range of grounds of unlawful discrimination in the industrial anti-discrimination and human rights laws. These include discrimination because of race, sex, marital or relationship status, pregnancy, sexuality, gender identity, age, disability and family responsibilities. But 
What are the main reasons for discrimination that we see clients about at Legal Aid? Disability discrimination is the most common that we see. So a reasonable adjustment is is something that the employer needs to do to move, to facilitate the employee who has a disability work there. So it might be something like screen reading software. It might be something like um, additional seating, ramps, access to the building, closed loop hearing technology, anything that facilitates a person with a disability to be able to do their job. The employer, generally speaking, would have an obligation to provide that to the employee so that they could do their job. Discrimination, the discretionary time limits are longer. So if a person doesn't lodge with it, with the Federal Human Rights Commission, the AHRC, um, within six months, the claim might be declined, but that's a might. So you should aim to get it in with the six months, but if you're outside of time, put it in with some reasons and um, you might get it heard. Or the state anti-discrimination in New South Wales, and again, it's a discretionary time limit of 12 months for the anti-discrimination in New South Wales. I'm thinking that once again, if it's if a community worker's hearing that someone might be discriminated against, get legal advice. That's, that's the advice, yeah. It, it can get overwhelming, I think, in terms of how many different agencies there are out to support. So people can always look around and see, but getting legal advice and getting someone to help you guide through the process of uh, which agency would be the better agency to assist is always a good idea. Any final information for community workers about what they can do if they have a client who has a problem at work. The most important thing is as soon as possible call Law Access and ask for a referral to Legal Aid and the person can come to their local Legal Aid office for free confidential legal advice about their employment law problem. The number for Law Access is 1300 888-529. People can use the translating and interpreting service to help with talking to Law Access or ask Law Access to arrange a telephone interpreter. If you are worried about a client who you think is working in an unsafe environment or doing unsafe work, you might want to see if something can be done to sort out the problem without involving lawyers. Let's finish off by talking to Zalima again from Safe Work New South Wales. If a community worker is working with a client and they're worried or concerned, can, with the client's permission, can they ring Safe Work themselves on behalf of a client? Yes, anybody can give us a call and have a concern. Obviously, um, we need to ensure that the person, if it is, let's say that we talk about a particular a specific case like um, a bullying concern, we will need to talk to the person who's actually um, perceives that they're being bullied or harassed. But it's important and vital actually that we talk as an inspector with the person who's actually in that situation. Um, so, yes. So, a community worker could call just for general information? Oh, as well? absolutely, absolutely. Anybody can call us anytime, any concerns. Um, I did mention to go through the employer, but that doesn't mean that you don't call us and say, look, I'm not sure about what to do with this. What's the point? What do I do? What resources are available?
Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the episode and found it useful, please share it with your organisation, your colleagues and communities. If you would like to access any of the information spoken about in the episode, please see the links in the show notes below. Until next time, thanks from all of us here at the CLE branch at Legal Aid New South Wales.